Well, that's our hope. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Until then, we are obviously facing a pandemic and various other challenges. I'd like to lift up our community in light of that and those who are sick in our midst as well. So let's join our hearts in prayer, please. Father, you tell us in Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And so we approach you with that confidence, our sovereign reigning God. And we ask you with the, the worsening health crisis in our community and around the world, you'd have mercy. God in the heavens, have mercy. Have mercy on those in the intensive care units right now around the country and around the world. Have mercy on those who are suffering from this particular illness. Grant recovery, we pray. Grant healing, grant peace. For those who have died, we ask you to comfort their families. We ask you to strengthen doctors and nurses who are serving to the point of exhaustion or perhaps beyond even, that you would sustain them and protect them. We pray that the ICU capacity, even in our region, would not be overwhelmed. And we lift up those in our midst experiencing health crises. We pray for Debbie Sperry. We ask you for healing. We pray that the scans later in December would show shrinkage of the tumors in her body. We pray for the procedure she's having this week. It would go as planned. We ask you to use the medical means to grant healing. We ask you to touch her even now. Grant her continued peace, both she and Tim. We pray also for Matthew Burdett and Jeff Richards. We thank you. We thank you that their recent scans have shown no growth of any brain tumors. We're so grateful. We thank you for this real measure of healing both of these men are experiencing. Continue, we pray, to sustain, to heal, to grant peace to them and their family. We pray also for Amanda Mullery. We ask you to strengthen her body and be able to take in nutrition. We ask you specifically for the procedure she's having tomorrow that it would be effective to bring help, to bring relief. So meet her even, we ask you right now, and strengthen her. We meet her and Colin with your continued peace. For we look to you, God in the heavens, who is doing right now all that he pleases. We are comforted in the fact that you are reigning and ruling over all. And so we thank you for hearing our prayers. Meet us, we ask, in the rest of our time. Open the eyes of our hearts to behold wonderful things in your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott and Grace, for serving us. Please be seated if you'd like. Good to be together. Thank you for joining us. If you're a guest here, I want to say especially a welcome to you. We are so glad you've joined us. 
There's a little bit of information about us at the information table, the welcome table. You can also go to gracechurcheast.org or ask me or any of the other leaders for more information. We'd love to serve you in any way we can. Most of all, we're just so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us today. If you've got youngsters with you as well, there are coloring sheets and also sermon outlines. If you would like one or your child would like one, those are at the information table. And just a brief note before we press on. As I think you're aware, a new stay-at-home order goes into effect tonight. And that does not affect our outdoor services. We're glad for that. But I know it does affect, yeah, we can clap for that. Thank you, Lord, for this provision right here. Great. It does affect life in other ways. It might tempt you in other ways, I can imagine. It might increase the sense of isolation or loneliness or weariness or fear. It's a trial for many, if not all of us. And so I wanted to remind us of something. Really, we as elders wanted to remind us to seek to do what God says in James chapter 1, and that is to count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. <coughs> I don't mean for a moment we should minimize the seriousness of sickness or suffering taking place, not, not at all. But for our souls, for the good of our souls as we walk through this, let us, let us count it joy, God tells us in that passage, because he uses trials to transform. Are you aware of that? He uses difficulties in the life, lives of his people to change us. That passage tells us that he works through difficulties to mature us, to strengthen our faith, to create perseverance in our souls, endurance to keep going. And yes, it's hard. And yes, it's often painful. But friends, he is accomplishing good. And so believe that. Believe that reality as we walk through it together, that God would guard our hearts as we look to Him and trust in Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Isaiah in chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah, if you're newer to the Bible, is near the middle of the Bible, just head right from the middle of the Bible. The prophet Isaiah chapter 7. Today we start our sermon series called Christmas according to Isaiah. Christmas according to Isaiah. Kids, Isaiah was a prophet, a guy who basically spoke for God, spoke on behalf of God, and he lived about 700 years before Jesus. That's a long time. And yet God enabled this guy, this prophet Isaiah, to, to see in ways the one born at Christmas down the corridors of time. And I want you kids to listen. Listen for a famous Christmas verse. As I read these words written 700 years before the first Christmas. Let us be addressed by God himself through his word. As I read in Isaiah chapter 7 beginning in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. 
but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear-Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. And it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not act. And I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the, no the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land, these two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And may God bless his word our hearts and minds. My kids, let me give you a little a little picture here, a little image. Do you ever, ever kids, you ever do those connect the dots drawings? Some of you shaking your heads. I love those because it's the only kind of art I can really do. You know those connect the dots drawings? You've got a, a page full of, of numbered dots and you follow the numbers to draw lines between the dots. So dot one to dot two, and you connect dot two to dot three, and on and on. And as you do so, suddenly a picture emerges on the page. Well, that's kind of how we live our lives. We take the dots of our circumstances and we try to connect them in a certain way to make a picture, to make sense out of life. The problem is, the dots in our lives are not numbered, are they? They're not numbered. 
We're not given, here's dot one, here's dot two, here's dot three, here's dot four, so you can draw the correct picture and live in light of that. We're not given that. We often connect the wrong dots in the wrong way and have in our minds the wrong picture from which we seek to live, make sense of our circumstances. We need help connecting the dots in the right way. So let me ask you, for all of us, how are you connecting the dots of 2020? What picture do you have in your mind of what's really going on? What's the picture that has emerged on your page from which you are living? I mean, in 2020, we have, obviously, we have a, a pandemic that is getting worse before it gets better. And 2020 has highlighted important social issues, but has also involved social unrest, even violence in our own city. And 2020 was an election year, raising our collective blood pressure, putting on display our political polarization, and on top of all that, you've got dots to connect in your own life, don't you? Dots about your health. Dots about your finances. Or your future. Or your family. The question is, how are you connecting those dots? What's, what's the picture you think you see? Does your picture say... God is good, wise, and absolutely sovereign. That he is accomplishing all of his wise purposes right now. So you are at peace overall. Serious things going on, yes, but your soul is at rest in God. Is that you? Or are you connecting the dots very differently? Does your mental picture not show God accomplishing all of his wise purposes? So you carry around an anxiety in your soul on a consistent basis. You live with a kind of low-grade fever of worry or fear or maybe even anger, perhaps a kind of rage. What is the picture for you, friends? And for all of us, it's probably some combination of the two, isn't it? What we need, what we need is the right way to connect the dots. What we need is the true picture to emerge on our page. And that's what this passage gives to us. This passage, you might think of it this way, it gives us three specific dots to connect. Three specific dots to see the picture God wants us to live in light of. Let's call the first dot the circumstantial fear. First, the circumstantial fear. The year is approximately 735 BC, and God's people are divided now into two kingdoms, two separate nations. The northern kingdom is called Israel also called Ephraim and Samaria in this passage. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Keep this geography in mind. 
The big issue for Israel and Judah is what to do about the superpower to the east, Assyria. Okay, the Assyrians, I read, were the first to field armies equipped with iron, iron swords, iron spear blades, iron helmets, iron scales sewn into their tunics for armor. They were highly organized and they were ruthless. So the issue for Israel and Judah in this day is, will you submit to Assyria? Will you become one of their vassal states? Will you pay a high tribute to them? Maybe even embrace their gods? Or will you resist? Well, the northern kingdom of Israel has joined with another country to the north called Syria. Not Assyria, but Syria. The northern kingdom of Israel, or Ephraim, or Samaria, has joined with another country called Syria, and they want Judah to join their alliance, their anti-Assyrian alliance. And King Ahaz of Judah has other ideas, and so... Israel and Syria, in their alliance, have invaded Judah. They want to take Ahaz, king of Judah, off the throne. That's what you see in verse 2. Look at verse 2. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, Israel, the heart of Ahaz, the king of Judah, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now notice there it says, the house of of David was told. That, that's an important reminder. A reminder that King Ahaz of Judah is in the line of kings from King David. David, to whom God promised, your throne will be established forever, David. David's line, God said. From David's line, someone would reign before God forever. A massively important promise in the Bible. And yet here, Ahaz and the people are shaking like palm trees in a Santa Ana wind. That's the fear. And maybe you can relate to that right now. Like Ahaz, we have great promises from God. Like God works all together for good for those who know and love Him, Romans 8, 28. But He has all-sufficient mercy and grace to help in time of need, Hebrews 4, 16. That He will never leave you and never forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. That He forgives our sins and gives us eternal life in Christ if we turn to Him the entire New Testament. We have great and precious promises, but we get filled with fear, don't we? and anxiety, and worry. So we can relate to Ahaz. So notice how the fear relates to the call. Secondly, second dot, the call to faith. God wants to take us from the circumstantial fear to the call to faith. Look at verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and your, and Shear Jashub, your son. Now, this name, Shir Jashub, means a remnant will return. Kind of a good news, bad news name. A remnant will return from what's coming. That's the good news. Only a remnant will return. That's the bad news. So God says, take Mr. Good News, Bad News, 
and go meet Ahaz, and notice where, the verse continues, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool of water on the highway to the washer's field. King Ahaz is checking on the water supply for the city of Jerusalem. He's preparing for the siege he's sure is about to come. Seems like a responsible thing to do, but notice how Isaiah is told to counsel him, verse 4. And say to him, say to Ahaz, be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrand. The heart, the heart of the matter, is always the heart. But the prophet says, do not fear, Ahaz. These two kings coming after you, they're just smoldering stumps. They're just spent pieces of wood after a fire. They want to take you down, Ahaz, but do not fear. Verse 7, it shall not stand. They're plans to take you down. It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. Verse 8, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Notice, within 65 years, Ephraim, the kingdom of Israel, will be shattered from being a people. And that's what happened within 65 years. That northern kingdom of Israel was shattered as being a people. The Assyrians shipped so many people out and so many people in that it was unrecognizable as the same people within 65 years. So the prophet's foreign policy to Ahaz is, trust God. I imagine Isaiah here is Ahaz's national security advisor. And they have a cabinet meeting and Isaiah speaks up. I have the foreign policy, O king. Trust God. Trust the Lord. For, notice the end of verse 9. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You will not stand. That's the call to him and to us. So in a sense, the choice here for Ahaz is between fear and faith. That's not exactly right because the two are related. Fear is an x-ray for the soul. Fear is an MRI for the heart. Fear reveals the location of your faith. Fear reveals the location of your hope, your trust. For fear, uh, for Ahaz rather, for Ahaz, his fear reveals a faith in himself. He opts for self-salvation, self-rescue, self-deliverance. We know from 2 Kings 16 that Ahaz sent messengers at this time to the king of Assyria saying, I am your servant. Here I am. I'm on the Assyria team. I'm your servant. Come rescue me from the king of Syria and the king of Israel. Ahaz opts for a political solution to a heart problem. Boy, isn't that what we do? A political solution to a heart problem. The way Ahaz is connecting the dots, God is not in the picture. He's living out of a picture 
without God at the center, without God ruling over all things. The promises of God have no traction for Ahaz. He has no faith in the security God can provide. He has only faith in the security he thinks Ahaz can achieve. For Ahaz, his fear reveals a faith in himself. So it's good to ask, friends, what are you fearing right now? What keeps you awake at night? What's your fear revealing? And with the recent elections, is there a fear in your soul? I don't mean a, a godly concern that drives you to prayer. I mean, I mean, are you afraid? Are you living with fear for the country because your preferred party or candidate laws? Or are you like me, finding yourself sometimes getting afraid of getting really sick from this coronavirus? Sometimes that grips me. We should be wise. We should be careful. Use prudence. It is that fear ruling you? Or are you afraid because money is tight right now, or the job is uncertain, or the future seems bleak to you? Are you afraid because the marriage is challenging? Are you afraid because maybe your kids won't turn out like you'd like? I mean, you fill in the blank. Where is the recurring fear for you? And then ask, what's that fear revealing about my heart? Does the MRI show I'm looking to self-salvation for that issue? Self-rescue? <coughs> Self-deliverance? I mean, like Ahaz, the choice is between self-salvation or Godward trust. Friends, will you opt for human solutions alone? Or rely on God and His promises to you in Christ. That's the call. Lastly, the sign. The Christmas sign. Thirdly, the Christmas sign. Here's where I think we get help for rightly connecting the dots to see the true picture of what's going on. Verse 10. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. I mean, this is the moment of decision for Ahaz and a crucial moment for the kingdom of Judah. Will they remain a sovereign nation with kings who trust God or not? So God says, I'm going to meet you right where you are, buddy. I'll give you any assurance you want, any assurance to strengthen your faith, Ahaz, just name it. Higher is deep, I don't care, I'm going to grant it to you, I'm going to meet you right where you are, buddy. I'm going to help you trust me. Ahaz replies in verse 12, I, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. That's a nice religious spin on blatant unbelief. And Isaiah sees right through him. Look at verse 13. Hear then, O house of David. 
Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? You're wearing my God out. And notice the ominous shift from your God to my God. In verse 11, ask a sign of the Lord your God, Ahaz. Verse 13, why are you wearing out my God? And from here on, historically, Judah essentially becomes a vassal state for Assyria, and then the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. In essence, that's what happens. But notice verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel's kind of compound name. It, it reads literally in Hebrew, with us God. El being a name in Hebrew for God. So the son being born will be a sign, a, a signpost pointing to this reality. God is with us. Now, we heard earlier being read to us, Matthew chapter 1, quoting that verse and pointing directly to Jesus Christ. But to understand this sign, we should first ask, what does it mean here in the context of Isaiah 7? Well, the word translated here, virgin, is hotly debated, but it's a good translation. You might have a footnote in your Bible that says, could be translated young woman or maiden. And that's true, but the assumption in this culture would be such a young woman or maiden would be sexually chaste. So virgin is a good translation. There's a young, currently unmarried, sexually chaste woman who will give birth to a son. But here's the question. Is this a sign only about Jesus' birth 700 years later? Or is this a sign for Ahaz's day and Ahaz's situation? You know, and I acknowledge good people will answer that question in a couple different ways. Personally, personally, I think the answer is both. See, as we read on, there's a real, it seems, child who was a real sign to Ahaz. Look at verse 15. It says, He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, he's still a young lad. The land whose kings you dread will be deserted. And this boy is still young. There's going to be suffering, poverty, hardship. That's not all. Isaiah goes on to say in verse 17, Oh, and guess what, Ahaz? The king of Assyria is coming for Judah. In other words, Ahaz, you made a deal with the devil. The security you sought in Assyria is going to come back to haunt us when Assyria comes to reign over us. So there does seem to be a, a sign here for Ahaz, but this sign, it's kind of like what they call a, a type or, or a picture, I think, of a far, far greater fulfillment as well. Kids, I want to I think about this idea with you. Kids, do a little history thought experiment here. Imagine it's the early 1900s, okay? the early 1900s, and I say to you kids, I promise you that I will take care of your transportation needs. 
And then I come back and I give you a horse. A horse. And it is a fulfillment of my promise. You can ride that horse into town and go to 7-Eleven and get a Snurpee. I fulfilled my promise of transportation. Now, decades go by, cars are popularized, roads are built. Let's say it's now the 1950s or something like that. And I show up again in your life, you're a grown up now, and I have a car for you. Let's say it's a 1957 Chevrolet Corvette for any of the adult uh, car aficionados. Perhaps my favorite car. It's a beautiful, powerful car. But you ask me, what's this for? And I say, this is the fulfillment of my promise of transportation. And you say, wait, you gave me that horse. And I say, well, that was an initial fulfillment pointing forward. That was an initial fulfillment pointing forward. That fulfillment of transportation, it got intensified. It got escalated to the ultimate fulfillment of a 1957 Chevrolet Corvette. That's what this is like. The sign for Ahaz is pointing forward and it gets ramped up, it gets intensified, it gets escalated to the max until a baby is miraculously conceived in a virgin's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit 700 years later. A son born to David's line, heir to David's throne, God the Son taking on a human nature without ever compromising his divine nature to be the God-man, fully God and fully man, the Lord Jesus Christ, God with us, the Creator incarnate, the Divine King in the flesh. So I would suggest, at least, Isaiah 7 has a double fulfillment, but one message. Trust the God who is with us. Trust Him. That's how Christmas rightly connects the dots in your life and gives you the right picture to live from. Trust the God who is with us to redeem us. Let me explain. Let me give you a, a picture. I was speaking with a professional counselor in the area to whom we have referred individuals at times. And he shared with me an illustration that he uses with his counselee. He said he had a friend who had multiple sclerosis, which affected his brain and so affected his balance. So this friend could not stand up straight. He would try and then he would fall over. It looked like he was throwing himself on the ground. His brain couldn't tell his body what was straight up and down anymore. So this friend realized he had to look outside of himself to a straight line around him, maybe a door frame. And look at that line straight up and down. Or where two walls joined in a corner. And look at that line straight up and down. And then he would realize what was straight and he would align himself with that line that was outside of himself. That's what this sign can do for you. When our faith is falling down, 
when our soul can't figure out what is straight anymore, we look outside ourselves and we align ourselves with this truth. God is with us. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, Matthew 1 says. Jesus is God with us at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, and he's God with us at the end of Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew 28, after he was crucified and risen, Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I am with you. Always, to the end of the age, he is still Emmanuel right now. He dwells with you and dwells in you, believer, by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Align your faith with that truth. It is said about the French philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal that his strategy of presenting Christianity was to do so in a way that you would wish it were true. So imagine if I said to you, God is with you right now, not to crush you or shame you. He's with you to help you. He's with you to care for you. He's with you to carry you through any difficulty you face. Wouldn't you wish that were true? A God who promises to never leave you nor forsake you. God will be to you like your nearest friend, like the friend who stays beside your bedside when you're really sick, who sleeps on the hospital couch next to you the entire time you're there so you won't get lonely or afraid. Wouldn't you wish that were true about God? Christmas says it is true. Christmas says, the sign of Emmanuel says, God has not left you, he has not abandoned you, he is with you if you are his. But don't go the way of Ahaz, God would say. Don't indulge that fear. Don't give in to your doubts. Look outside of yourself to this straight line and align your faith here. Trust the God who is with us and, and he is with us to redeem us, to deliver us. Because of Ahaz's unbelief, the line of kings in Judah would become a distant memory. Emmanuel entered this world among a people under Roman domination, Roman oppression. He came and he shared the poverty of his people. He entered this suffering world. He suffered himself. But the God who is with us does not waste suffering. He redeems through suffering. In Isaiah 7, the need was for political deliverance, military salvation. Matthew shows us this sign is about a far greater deliverance. Emmanuel delivers us from our sins. The angel said to Joseph, also in Matthew 1, call his name Jesus, for he will save, deliver, rescue his people from their sins. Jesus means the Lord saves, Emmanuel means God with us. Put them together. God is with us to redeem us, to deliver us from our sins and make all things new one day.
See, the virgin birth means that God the Son took on our humanity in every way, except for one, our sin. All of us are born into a sinful condition, but the virgin birth meant he had no sin, so he could atone for sins, he could pay for sins, he could be the perfect sacrifice for your sins and my sins. God has this purpose to redeem, and he's working that purpose out in your life right now. Forgiving, reconciling, transforming, until he returns and makes all things new. This Christmas sign says, self-salvation, self-rescue like Ahaz tried, you won't cut it, but Jesus has come to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So align your faith with these straight lines. Allow Christmas to connect the dots for you in the right way. That the picture which emerges in your mind and in your heart, the picture from which you live every day of your lives is this. God is with us to redeem us and you trust him. Let's pray. With that end, shall we? Let's trust the God who is with us to redeem us right now. And then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. I want to give you a moment in your own heart to interact with God, to, to look outside yourself to these straight lines, to, to align your faith with these glorious Christmas realities. God is with us. Redeem all who trust in you. If you're not sure if that's you, or maybe you know it's not you, take this moment right now to turn to him, believe him, to Surrender to give up on self-salvation and say, Jesus, I need you. I believe you died for sins. Please take my sins away and make me your own. Come to him right now. Leave him. For others, take your fears, take your worries, take your anxieties. And trust the God who is with you this very moment to redeem you. <clears throat> says to cast your cares on him because he cares for you. You do that right now. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you. That a wayward king would be given a sign 
that is so glorious, gloriously fulfilled in our Savior. God incarnate, born of a virgin, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might know you are God with us to redeem us, to deliver us. And so help us to trust you right now. Help us to bank all our hopes in you. For our country, for this world, for our own lives. We look to you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.